Let us begin our sermon with a prayer. We pray. Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you for sending us your word today, and thank you for your love and your care for each one of us in our lives. Please bless us this morning. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with confidence in your love, and fill us with joy and motivation to live lives that serve you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Once upon a time, There was a man who lost everything. So here here was his story. He had been been raised in a wealthy family, and he had been given sort of every privilege and opportunity for success that you could have. And then he'd been incredibly successful, like at school. He finished at the top of his class. He stacked up one degree after another. He, He graduated with the highest of high honors. And then he excelled in the workplace. He similarly rose to the top of the workplace. He got promoted again and again. He became known throughout his profession. He came up with innovative new ideas. He became well-known by colleagues all across the country. Very, very successful. But then one day, this man walked away from his job. And it was because he had become obsessed with this radical cause that essentially put him on the wrong side of the culture wars, if you want to put it like that. Um, His reputation was ruined. His business connections were severed. To use today's terms, he was canceled. Um, So he ended up dying a violent death at a young age without a single penny in his pocket. A man who had lost everything. Once upon a time, there was a different man. A man who gained everything. So this man had been raised in the toxic competitive environment of a religious cult, which was obsessed with performance and achievement. No matter how hard he worked, he would never be good enough. No matter how much he achieved, he would never be a success. And so he learned to be suspicious of everyone around him, to push other people down so he could reach the top. But then one day, he encountered something that set him free from his pride and his performance obsession. And that thing he discovered was the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We read about it in our reading, like stumbling across a a magnificent treasure in a field. This man stumbled across this, and for the first time in his life, he realized that God loved him unconditionally, and that God had already declared him a success because of his Savior, Jesus. And so this man's life was changed forever. Instead of competing against others, he could show them unconditional love. Instead of living in fear and pressure, he could live in peace and joy. And so he ended up devoting the rest of his life to sharing the gospel of Jesus with more people. And finally, he died at peace with God, knowing that he was entering eternal glory, a man who had gained everything. Maybe you've read between the lines here, knowing the context of our sermon today, but both these stories are the same man. The man who had lost everything was also the man who had gained everything. His name is the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, and he also happens to be the writer of our sermon text today. So here is Paul's story, you know, very briefly. He had been raised as a Pharisee which was the strictest sect within Judaism. 
And among the Pharisees, with all their extra laws and all their careful law following, Saul was the Phariseeist of them all. He distinguished himself in every possible way. But the way that he really distinguished himself was in his zeal to stomp out this new religious movement that, has, that had started. And this new religious movement was something that at this time was simply called the way. This movement of the way was based on this crazy idea that a rabbi called Jesus of Nazareth, who the Romans had crucified a few years ago, had actually been the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and that he had proved it by rising from the dead. There were people who believed this. And, you know, the movement was just too preposterous to possibly be true, he thought, but its implications threatened the entire Jewish way of life. So Saul took it upon himself to hunt down every last follower of the way, nip this problem in the bud, and have them all thrown in prison, or better, killed. So the book of Acts tells us about this. It says, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. He even went to the high priest and got letters to the synagogue in Damascus, which is so far north it's in a different province, so he could hunt down the Christians there. If he found anybody belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul is on this mission on the road to Damascus. But then on that road, something very unexpected happens. A bright light shone from heaven, and a voice spoke from the sky, and it said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who am I talking to? <laughs> and the voice came back, this is Jesus whom you've been persecuting. Oh. Whoops. Probably Saul was expecting to be turned into a crispy pile of sulfur sizzling on the ground in any second. But he wasn't. God didn't strike him down for making himself an enemy of the Savior. Instead, really the exact opposite happened. One of Jesus' followers came out of the city of Damascus, took Paul by the hand, because he'd temporarily been blinded by this light, and led him into the city. And for three days, took care of him, fed him, and taught him the key message of this movement called the way, which of course is now known as Christianity. And the key message of all this was not just that this rabbi named Jesus had risen from the dead, but it was about what it means. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him does not have to perish, but will have eternal life. This son of God and this savior of the world for free was indeed the guy named Jesus of Nazareth, and he had indeed risen from the dead and appeared to people. So this, you know, the bright light and the few days of blindness and the teaching from this Christian named Ananias, this was the start of probably the most unlikely conversion in the history of Christianity. Saul turned into Paul. The Jewish persecutor became a Christian missionary, and as a result, everything in his life was flipped upside down. So now we look to our sermon text, and we look at how Paul describes his life. Looking back, he says,
He had done everything that a good Pharisee was supposed to do. But he says, whatever word. Do you see how, how Saul, now Paul, is struggling to find words to describe how important his faith is to him? You know, first he says, everything I had gained is now a loss. But that's not enough. Everything in the world is now a loss compared to Jesus. Still not enough. Everything in the world is garbage compared to Jesus. Maybe now he's getting to the point that he wants to make. Everything has changed. It's like the guy who walks across this treasure in the field and it totally changes everything in his life when he wasn't even expecting it at all. Paul's life has been transformed. So what is it that would cause a person's life to change so much? Where you'd give up all the success, all the wealth, everything that was going for you and just gladly take whatever troubles may come for the sake of something else. What was it specifically that changed Paul's life. It wasn't just that he saw a vision on the road. What really changed Paul's life was the realization that it wasn't up to him anymore. It wasn't up to his works anymore. I mean, he had spent his whole life as a Pharisee exhausting himself in the pursuit of righteousness, trying to be good enough for God. Now, he says, he has not a righteousness of his own that comes through the law, but righteousness through faith in Christ. It comes from God on the basis of faith, simply by believing in Jesus. Paul is a member of God's family. His sins have all been washed away. And one day, even he is going to get to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul recognized that Righteousness which comes from God for free is worth losing everything for, worth living for, worth dying for. It's worth everything. So that's how Paul valued his righteousness from God. Uh, do we value our righteousness from God in a similar way? Is it really everything to us? On paper, absolutely. Um, in practice, Sometimes maybe not. And why is that? Well, really, it's simple. When we undervalue the gospel, the reason is because sometimes we are overvaluing other things that our world greatly prizes. And so this would now be the part of the sermon to line up all the evils of the world and how the devil tries to tempt us with these things, you know, greed for money, lust for pleasure, a shallow life of wild partying with no deep thoughts for the future. These are the things our world is chasing after. You Christians, you shouldn't be chasing after these things. And it's true. I mean, this, it, our, our world does offer us these things. These are temptations. But for the purposes of our sermon this morning, I want to talk about something a little different. Um, it's summed up really neatly by a man named Augustine, who lived way back in the 4th century A.D., and here is what he said. The essence.
Um, so in other words, our problem is not necessarily that we love all the wrong things. But our problem is that we love the right things in the wrong order. Does that make sense? Our problem is not loving the wrong things. It's that we love the right things in the wrong order. So you think about what the order should be. Up here is our righteousness from God and our status as God's children and getting to be on his mission in the world. And then everything else falls under that. Relationships with other people, our talents, skills, and interests, wealth and possessions, pleasures and experiences, a specific number of hours that God gives to us to get to live in this world. All these things are good things. All these things are blessings from God. They can be used to serve God. They can be used to serve others. And I've kind of got this on the brain. We talked about this in Bible study. Um, from our Tuesday night class with campus ministry students, we've been reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And in that book, King Solomon says things like this. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love for all the days God has given you under the sun. For this is the lot of man. So it's not bad to enjoy your life. Food, drink, relationships, talents, wealth, time, all these are good blessings here for us to enjoy, even to love. But the problem comes when we love them more than Jesus. And all of us are like, no, we don't. I don't love hanging out with my friends more than Jesus. I don't love my job more than Jesus. Come on. But if someone was to observe our life from the outside, I don't know that they would necessarily agree. So how about this? What about when a person that we respect says something demeaning about Christianity? Do we value the gospel so much that we leap at the chance to, to share and explain what they're missing, the free grace of Jesus part? Or do we value their respect so much that we just kind of keep quiet and maybe we even feel a little bad that, that we're a Christian? How about this? When we have a chance to gather publicly with other Christians and worship God for what he's done, when we have a chance to, to serve or volunteer at some event that's going to help more people potentially learn about their Savior, do we always instinctively jump at the opportunity to glorify God or to serve? Or... Do we grumble about how long it's going to take and what other things we might rather be doing? And I know in my own heart the answer that I sometimes have to that one. Church is early in the morning. 10 o'clock is early. Um, what about this one? When God's word points at a specific area of our life, God's word calls us out and tells us in no uncertain terms, we need to knock it off. Do we jump at the chance to serve God and follow him and say, wow, I can do something to say thank you? Or do we get annoyed at being constantly prodded? I don't know if you ever feel this way. Do you ever feel like saying, God, can you please just get out of my business? I'm your child. I'm going to heaven. It's all good. But I have enough things competing for my time and attention and energy. I can barely keep it all together. Now God is asking me for stuff. And yet when we feel that way, we're showing our priorities. At least for the moment, our righteousness from God has slipped behind relationships or time or school or work or my balance in life or whatever it may be. And so the essence of sin is disordered love. 
it's not necessarily that we love all the wrong things, but it's that we love the right things. Our sinful nature puts them in the wrong order. But however you slice it, um, the result of sin is the same. Sin threatens to separate us from God, and it threatens to do so forever. And this is why we need a righteousness that is not corrupted by our own sin. Right? We need righteousness and goodness that doesn't come from us, but it comes from somewhere totally different. And that is what Paul found and valued as his greatest treasure. Righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Righteousness that has been earned for us by a Savior whose desires were always perfectly ordered. So think of Jesus' priorities. You know, what did Jesus value the most? While Jesus enjoyed relationships, he allowed himself to be hated and rejected and betrayed even by his friends for the sake of something far more important. While Jesus had skills and talents, and he enjoyed using them, you remember how Jesus was a carpenter? He also allowed himself to become a homeless, wandering teacher for the sake of something far more important. And while Jesus enjoyed food and drink and physical comfort, he allowed himself to be arrested, whipped, nailed to a cross, and killed, all for the sake of something far more important. So what was the something far more important that motivated Jesus' whole life? It was you. It was you. You were Jesus' number one priority. Absolutely nothing could distract him from living that perfect life which was going to be yours. Accomplishing that perfect righteousness which could cover you at your baptism. Winning that eternal life in heaven where you could go someday. Jesus' number one priority in his entire life was you. When someone loves you that intensely, it changes your life. This is what happened for Saul. He became Paul, and his whole life was flipped upside down. And this is what's happened for us. All of our priorities have been flipped upside down. But here's the best part about being a Christian. Our old priorities are not eliminated. They're just rearranged. As a child of God, you still get to enjoy all of God's earthly blessings. Now, you just get to enjoy them in the proper order. Right? So righteousness from God is your number one greatest treasure, but then God gives you the gift of relationships. And what a cool thing to have relationships with other people because this is the, the way for you to show love to other people, for you to do for others what Christ has done for you. And God gives you the gift of talents and skills and interests. And now, with your righteousness from Christ as your number one priority, you don't have to use those things to validate yourself and win anything for yourself. You can use those things to serve the people around you in love. God has given you the earthly gift of wealth and possessions and pleasures. And when you are generous with those things, when you view those things appropriately, that's a great way to demonstrate your faith to a world which is chasing after those things as though they are the meaning of life. God gives you the gift of time. Whatever the number of hours is that you have left in this world, God has given you that gift to be enjoyed and used to share God's love with more people. So the list could just go on and on and on. 
You could list any different earthly gift from God. The point is, having God as your number one priority doesn't mean you have to say goodbye to everything that you love in this world. It just means you get to finally use those things in the way that they were meant to be used. From a perspective of love and grace, to glorify God and to serve your neighbor. And when you do that, life is actually more satisfying. Because you can make the best of the good times and appreciate and use them properly. You can make it through the bad times and keep everything in perspective. Because in the end, no matter what happens in your life, it's a net win. Because thanks to Jesus, your greatest treasure is already secure in heaven. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith, in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.